want to thank my brother Johnny and Alvin for encouraging us and helping us just see Christ in culture. Thoroughly blessed by you brothers and thankful for you pouring into your church family. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for this time and are excited to get into your word. Some of us are not excited. Some of us are bothered. Some of us are distracted. Some of us are consumed by things. And we pray your spirit would free us. Let us focus and receive from your word during this time, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. There are some things that uh, transcend culture. There's some words, some terms that transcend culture. It cuts through culture. It cuts through race. It cuts through gender. The limits or bounds by which you might have some assumptions or some stereotypes, it just cuts through it. Like a word like fun. Fun can be the image of a grandmother holding her grandbaby while reading a story. Fun can also be two teenage high high school kids going down a roller coaster, both hands up, snot coming out the nose, whole nine. (laughs) Fun cuts across culture. It cuts across gender. It cuts across some stereotypes or whatever limits that you might have. There's some things that just cut across. Today, we're going to talk about a term that Jesus presents that the very essence of who he is, it cuts across a brokenness in our society. That brokenness is called slavery. It is a enslavement the Bible talks about. It is a slavery. It is a a, a issue that is very dear to Jesus's heart. But even though we're in Black History Month, it's not simply... We're talking about physical slavery. And so today I want to first take a moment to build a case. My first premise is this, that you and I have all been enslaved. My second premise is that Jesus has come to free you from being a slave. First premise that you and I have all been enslaved. We all have been somehow corrupted. And there's three ways that I can kind of break it down to explain and make sure you understand how you have maybe been deceived into thinking that you have not been enslaved and you have been. Look at these three ways with me. The first is that You and I have been infected. Psalms 51 verse 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. There's this idea, this concept, this kind of uh, understanding that those cute lips you got, they look a little bit like your mama's. That nice nose you got, it looks a little bit, little, little bit like your daddy. Them ears look a little bit like your grandma. You inherited some stuff that didn't just show up on you. It was passed down from your family member. 
as I get a chance to look at some of the beautiful kids, we, we threw a party for my, for my son yesterday, and uh, we thought we was going to do a little party, you know, get some ice cream and cake and, you know, get a little something, and you send out some flyers, and, and a lot of y'all is Christian, and for some reason, Christians like to procreate, so it was like we, you invite one, and then 15 come from one family. It's like, whoa, okay. So before I knew it, we had 60 different little kids running around at the birthday party. It was crazy. But you know what? I didn't even need to have parents around to look at a child and see how much that child reflected the parents. That that child had inherited traits from the parents. Psalm 51 is saying there's some stuff you inherited that was sinful that corrupted who you are, that that from the moment you breathed that first cry, mama and daddy had passed it down to you, and it was an issue that needed to be dealt with. It was uh, an infection, if you will. So you've been enslaved first because you were infected by this thing called sin. But next, maybe you don't think that that was the case. Next, I want to give the proposition that you delight in sin. Romans 7 is a pretty famous verse because if if nothing else in the Bible can explain some of the, the inner turmoil of a human being, I've got friends that don't even love Jesus. And they'd be like, man, I get this. Listen to what Paul says in, in 7. Verses 14 through 20, he says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do for what I want to do. I do not do. But what I hate to do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is, it is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Christ goes on to to be the the one who helps us break this cycle. Paul will definitely give that that celebration of Jesus. But don't, 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 don't you, don't we relate to that? Aren't there some aspects of sin that are just chocolate cupcake? Some aspects of sin that are just Refreshing Pepsi on a hot day aspects. of I'm just saying there's some aspects of sin that taste good. Some aspects of sin that we actually delight in. And even when we know it's McDonald's fries and it ain't good for us. We still end up supersizing. We still end up going and doing that which we know we shouldn't do. And so maybe you realize that you were enslaved because you were infected by sin. 
Or maybe you realize the impact of sin is real because you know there's some things that you do that you shouldn't be doing. But then there's an aspect that 1 Peter 5, 8 says that even if those two points don't convince you that you've been enslaved to sin. And it says, can you pull up that 1 Peter verse for me, brother? Oh, I'm sorry, it's there. Uh, That Satan tempts us with sin. That Satan is seeking to destroy us. That Satan's job, he he cannot come in and say, as a believer, I'm going to overtake you, force you, and make you do my will. Satan ain't got no power. Satan has no power. But what he can do is deceive. What he can do is lie to you. What he can do is make you question the very God who loves you. And so his goal is to tempt you, to constantly tempt you, to constantly put before you a plan that would kill you, disrupt you, and reject your God. It's constantly tempting you with opportunities to sin, constantly putting before us moments where we can fall. And so we are an enslaved people, whether it was by birth, whether it was by our choice and the things we delight in, or whether it was by our tempter who continues to put before us. And why do I have to make this case? I have to make this case because we can't understand what Jesus does in this term called redemption if we don't understand that first we were enslaved. That we were a people in need of being rescued. So that's when we come to our verse today. Y'all know we're in the book of Ephesians, and we're going to be going through the whole book. And last week, we talked about the beauty of being chosen. This week, we talk about Jesus Christ being our Redeemer. Look with me, chapter 1, verse 7. Because the question is, if you are a person who is a slave to sin, If we are a people that have been in bondage to sin, then how do we gain freedom? Verse 7 says this. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. In him we have redemption. This This is a concept that was used within the marketplace, redemption, redemption, redemption. And it was constantly used, actually, within the slave marketplace, which meant that a person that was in slavery would be redeemed when they were set free and were no longer in bondage. So this term redemption is is a term that means the captives, the, the enslaved, those in bondage are now set free. But it has kind of three Old Testament contexts to help you be able to grasp it. Sometimes one word just don't fully get it. Y'all know what I'm saying? Y'all know what I'm saying. Yeah, everybody head nodding or they head nodding. One of them. <laughs> so there's three contexts for this term. The first one is a legal context. 
It, 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 it has to do with uh, redemption from a legal status. And so uh, Baker Encyclopedia um, says that uh, this happened in the instance of King Saul. King Saul had placed a curse on anyone eating on the day of a particular battle. But when he learned that his son had violated this edict, he still ordered his son to be put to death. And this is in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verses 24 through 46. He ordered his son be put to death. But the people intervened and the people redeemed his son, Jonathan, by substituting an animal sacrifice in his place. So a legal edict had gone out. It's got to be carried out. A legal matter has to be executed. But look what happens. The people step in and provide redemption. So there's a legal aspect. There's a family governance aspect, Baker Encyclopedia says, where where it's used primarily in relation to family rules and regulations. Family rules and regulations. So we see this in in the beautiful love story that we get of Ruth and Boaz. Everybody's like, yeah. I want to get my Boaz someday, you know, like people get all excited. But but it's a story of redemption where where the, the family assets of land were being lost. And so Boaz comes in as the redeemer who now takes the land and also has first right to pursue Ruth. And so we see the redeemer aspect takes place in a familial, in a family governance aspect as well. And lastly, we see redemption take place as a covering, as a, as a covering, as a, as a form of payment, as a way to make sure that, that, that your debt is settled. You ever, uh, this, this, this may not have happened to y'all but it, but it's happened to me. Maybe it happened to me on purpose. We'll see. All right. So you ever go out with all your friends? You real hungry. Everybody throwing down. You are grubbing. And then Jordan, you look up and realize you ain't got your wallet. You didn't order the extra appetizers. Yeah, put give me the cherry coke with it. You know, like you you grubbing. And this, this concept of a redemption is one where Ken steps in and says, that's okay, I got him. He, oh, he owes a debt. He's racked up the debt. The debt is here, his, but I have him covered. That is this Jesus. That is this Jesus coming to say, I am all things. I fulfill the law. I have made you my sons and daughters. Here's the family aspect, but you know what? My blood got you covered. It's got you covered. And so this concept of redemption to an enslaved people gets us excited. It gets us going. It gets us in a new mindset of, wow, look at the depths of this God. And for me, y'all, like, like, this becomes an issue because what Satan wants to do to every single person is in here and hear me. What he wants to do is have us questioned our redeemed status. 
Because your status is your standing. Your status is, is, is who you are. Your status is, is where I am in life. My, your, my status is, 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 is your standing. And so what he wants us to do is question, you really redeemed? You, you remember that issue you got? You remember that, that, that one thing you've been wrestling with for a long time? How can you be redeemed if you keep going back to that, I, I, th- I thought you was a slave to that. He saved you, and now you're not a, you're not a slave no more, yet you, you're going back again. Yet you still feel the pull, even if you don't indulge in it, yet you still feel the desire to go back. So you ain't, you ain't really redeemed. Jesus didn't really really set you free. He didn't, he didn't cut those shackles. And so what, what he wants to do is rain down these lies, rain down these lies, rain down these lies. And, 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 and Brandon, when, when it's raining heavy outside, when it's raining heavy outside, what, what do you get? Speak up. Family, as I was reading these scriptures, I realized that if Satan gets through to us and convinces us that we're not covered by Christ's redemption, all the rest of the gospel begins to unravel. It all, all the rest of it unravels. All these aspects, even that we're going to talk about, which unpack the rest of the scriptures for today. You, you can't understand it. You can't begin to grasp it if you don't realize he got you covered. He's got you covered. So in all aspects, in my coming and in my going, I am redeemed. I am free from the bondage of sin. Sin no longer has me shackled. I am no longer bound to the ways of Satan, no matter what I feel. It's not about how strong am I tempted by my greed or my anger or my temptation for lust. It's not about how strong is the temptation. It is about what has he accomplished. So because I'm covered, now I can understand the rest of the aspects of God's scripture. Because I am chosen, I can begin to understand this God who's done these things for me. Remember, I can't boast in them. Didn't free myself from slavery. Didn't free myself from sin. And so first we see it is now where am I at on my umbrella? Because I'm supposed to go through each aspect of the remaining verses and uh, this going to get complicated. But I'm looking for now through the blood. Here we are. Through his blood. You see, when I understand that I'm redeemed, now I realize the vehicle by which my redemption takes place. 
That vehicle is Christ's blood. His blood shed so that I could be free from sin. But if I'm not redeemed, it's just another death. If, I, if, if he dies and it doesn't free me from sin, it's just another death. That's why enslavement is more than just the physical things we do. It's the spiritual well-being of a person. Forgiveness for trespasses. See, when you've been redeemed, now there's a, 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 an extent. It's almost like, I try to, forgive me, this, is not, this ain't going to work the best. But like forgiveness is, is like, like, there's like bathtub forgiveness and there's shower forgiveness. All right, like, like the cleaning agent is water. But, but some people want forgiveness just to be one aspect that I like, I was able to get clean, kind of. Like in a, in, a, in a bath, you can take a bath, get clean, but if you just lay in the bath and let the water drain out, you're going to be nasty because all that dirty water on the top just laying on you. But see, a shower, a shower, it is, it, is, it, is, it is Jesus saying, I recognize that you hurt me. But the extent of my forgiveness does not only cleanse you, it also puts us back in right relationship. So I'm taking the dirt away from you so that when you are in my presence now, I can fully delight in you. You can fully delight in me. Forgiveness restores relationship. But it's because you no longer are a slave to sin. I, I, I was tempted to not go through each of these, but the reason why I was, I was I'm saying I'm going to force myself because I want this image of redemption covering you to be cemented in your mind, in our minds, in my mind. The riches of his glory. Nope, riches of his grace, excuse me. The riches of his grace, an abundance of unmerited favor. Uh, uh, A freedom from sin that was given to us out of the love and joy of Jesus Christ. He lavishes it upon us. Now, we don't use a term like lavish too often. My wife and I, we went to this, uh, to this high school that was, uh, it was a mixed high school. So originally, I moved from the hood of East Cleveland to a city called, or a suburb called Cleveland Heights. And uh, where, where I was from, we rocked like jeans and a white tee. That was like getting dressed up. Uh, at least for the school side of things. Like, I loved wearing suits and church, that whole night. But for the school side of things. But then when I got to Heights, Heights was like preppy. Heights was like polo shirt preppy. Actually, Heights was so preppy that we would wear multiple polo shirts in a polo shirt, in a polo shirt. Hit me with it, James. This is how we used to rock <laughs> when we was at Heights. You know what I'm saying? 
Lavish. You got me? Lavish. That's that growth, that's that GP flavor, you know what I'm saying? But, but, but this is what God's trying to say. In, in abundance, I'm trying to give you this grace. In abundance, the redemption has freed you. It's not just a little bit. It's not just getting a pinky toe. I'm trying to cover your whole body. I want you to have far more. It's overwhelming the amount of love and, and grace that I am extending to you. It's tough, to us, tough for us to own. It's tough for us to, to receive because at times the, the lies that Satan is trying to rain down on us make us question even if we're worth an inch of God's attention, let alone a lavish love. But he's saying to you, I've covered you because you are mine. I've covered you because I love you. I've covered you and had this plan set out before the beginning of time. And it's all based on his wisdom and insight. And wisdom and insight is really interesting because wisdom and insight is true before Christ and true after Christ. You think you really wise and got some really good insight before you know Jesus. And you look back and you say, man, I was about dumber than a woodpecker trying to work with a steel pipe. I don't even know. <laughs> Come on, you, you got some, some foolish ideas that you had, but it was because your mentality was enslaved. There's some stuff that someday I'm going to just have to share it because I was stupid. I will say I was stupid. I'm not going to wait until the the videos come out of pastor or the archives or whatever. I'll tell y'all some of my stupidity because before Christ, I was thinking dumb. I was enslaved. I was thinking in ways that demeaned women. I was thinking in ways that made money my God. I was thinking in ways where I thought I was so wise. And I created a whole lifestyle towards my earthly wisdom. And God says, uh-uh, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to free you. That stinking thinking, I'm going to free you from it. It's going to be gone now. And now you see some stuff and you like, Whoa, that's true wisdom. So somehow I give more, I sacrifice more, I help others, and yet you help me more than I helped any of them? I, I, I thought I had no time, and yet I spent time with you, and somehow, God, I got more done than I ever could have imagined? You see, his wisdom and his insight blows us away. But first, you got to realize it's because you're no longer enslaved. It's because he's freed you. It's because he's redeemed us. And it happens through the mystery of his will. The mystery of his will. I don't even know. Here we go. The mystery of his will is his plan for salvation and his sustaining grace 
to humanity. His plan for salvation and his sustaining grace for humanity. We, we get these and we get this understanding in certain areas. I was reading a uh, website and I'm sorry, I don't usually do this, but I don't have the quotation for it. Uh, I will make sure that I list it in our in our notes online. Um, but this is these are not my words. These are the words of a man who was uh, a prisoner of war. He says this, he says, uh, after surviving ejection from a fighter jet at 550 miles an hour, Roger Inveson prayed in a dried out rice paddy uh, more than 30 years ago for Christ to take over his life. Today, he credits that relationship with carrying him and many of his fellow prisoners of war in North Vietnam through the torture and isolation that was to follow. I had the wonderful psychological feeling that I was really one extended period. uh, Excuse me. uh, Wait. I had the wonderful psychological feeling that I was really pulling one over on the Vietnamese. Emphasis said, uh, describing one extended period of solitary confinement, they thought I was in there and really suffering by being alone. But I had a cellmate the entire time I was in there, and that was the Lord Jesus. It was graphic, some of the things we experienced They talked about gruesome and unpleasant things that they went through. But over and over, they bring it back to the way the Lord sustained them and brought them through. And every man told how they are a better man, a better Christian or a better husband and father because of what they went through. We, we, we all have some different issues with why war happens. And as soon as you heard Vietnam, you, you might have let that set you off. Don't let that lead you to miss the point. The point is this, that we get through trials, through tribulation, through attacks, through pain, that Christ can sustain us. That his redemption, when all of these things are true, what can't we handle? What can't we handle when his grace is lavished upon us? What can't we handle when we realize his favor is in abundance? What can't we handle when we realize that the things that have the potential to destroy us, we're no longer enslaved to. We can make it through anything. But we as a society sometimes are quick to celebrate the beauty and the power and strength of God in crisis situations with prisoners of war. But we don't always see that as we look at African-American culture. I want to bring up that, that next slide, brother, because I believe that this same principle, what got those prisoners of war through those tough times of being captured and enslaved also is a firm part of African-American history and community that got us through a rather long period of enslavement. If you look on this this, uh, chart, you'll see that in 1619, um, we had what is called the beginning of slavery. We're not actually sure if it started, we'll say beginning of slavery started 1619. Uh, If you go all the way to 65, 
that's when Jim Crow uh, actually ends. That means that legally being able to hinder African-American people, that stopped in 65. Now, we're not saying that uh, no type of issues continued on. We're just saying the legal ability to uh, uh, use power to subjugate African-Americans uh, stopped when Jim Crow ended in 65. That's uh, like about 346 years. They say that a generation is about 25 to 27 years. It's 400 years. That's 400 years? 1619. 1619 to... It's 400 years. Oh, yes, you're right. Yep, yep. But I'm, but I'm just talking about the legal side. Okay. Now, there's all still a lot of drama <laughs> happening today. Uh, I think represented even by mass incarceration. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to be conservative for those that would even, for those that might say, well, hey, everything, everything should be equal. Um, if a generation is 25 years, that puts us at roughly about 13.8, or let's just round down to bless somebody. That puts us at 13 generations of legalized Injustice, good word. Legalized demoralizing of people, legalized uh, subjugation, legal. You can you can use a lot of terms. And I, I, I think the reason why Alvin can pull out those those words and they have such great value is that even in the midst of being physically and legally challenged, African-American people felt this sense of knowing God had redeemed them. And so when you know that your redeemer is above your situation, you can still somehow shout. You can still somehow praise. You can still wonder why they still in there. They started at 8 a.m. and it's 7.30 and they still in here? Yes, we are. Because we are shouting above our experience. We are recognizing that the riches of his grace we might not see, but we believe in. The lavish aspect of his abundant love we will experience and it may come through us today, but if it doesn't, it's going to happen in the by and by. And so as you can see and say, man, Jesus was with that prisoner of war. Can you say Jesus was with a people? Jesus was with a culture. Jesus was with a community. And it saddens me today that that our community is not as tight knit. And so we don't honor the redemption that Christ has done. And we're working towards bringing that back for sure. But family. Let us be, be mindful and let us learn from some of the beautiful history that so many have had in trusting in the redemptive nature of Christ. And so lastly, uh, he's uniting us to all things in Christ. All things. This is things on heaven 
things in heaven and things on earth, uniting all things to him. And in some ways, uh, what Alvin read was convicting uh, and it affirmed some of my preparation this week because I, I sat back and I thought, I thought, how much do we really believe that Christ is uniting all things in him? Like, like, like I, as a black man, I can drive where I choose. At this stage, I can fly to multiple countries. At this stage, I can carry a concealed weapon if I want to. At this stage, if white people want me to do something and I don't want to, I can say no and not die for it. At this stage, my children don't have to see images of themselves being hung from a tree. At this stage, in comparison to what my ancestors went through, I have a lot of blessings. And yet, I think that to some degree, they may have trusted in Christ uniting all things even more than we do today. How is it that coupled with the pain and the sorrow and our hearts being broken about a broken society, there isn't also a reverence, a joy, a thankfulness for what Christ is going to accomplish, maybe through us today, but maybe through after, after our last breath. We don't know. But how is it that this faith, this belief, and this holding dearly to him uniting all things somehow just isn't as powerful as the pain that goes on in our world. It's because we've taken our focus off of redemption. It's because we've taken our eyes off of the mark. It's because we forget that we've been freed from a slavery that was spiritual. And now I get to dance. Now I get to delight. Now I get to rejoice in being freed from bondage forever and being able to be forgiven to the extent that I am in a joyful standing. I got a new status in Christ. And that, my family, that is worth us singing out. That is worth us celebrating. That is worth our vision and gaze beyond what we see today. The next two verses actually connect us back to our chapter from last week. It connects us back to being chosen. In him we have attained an inheritance. Back to that adoption language, verse 11. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We talked about the beauty of being chosen last week so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. That all of this, all of this, all of this is for the praise and honor of God and God alone. Christ redeemed you. You're no longer a slave to sin. If that's something you wrestle with today and you want to talk with me or you want to talk with one of our elders, we would love to connect with you and let you know about the freedom that Jesus Christ offers. But if you are also a person that's saying, Lord, I feel the the pain 
I feel the temptation to constantly enter back into that which you have freed me. I need your help. Then we would love as elders to pray for you up here after service. Let us pray together. Lord, you are a good, good God. And we are humbled by your love for us, which is lavish beyond what any of us can imagine. Today, Father, would you free us up to be a people that walk in the freedom that you have provided, that worship and celebrate with the the, um, thankfulness and the gratitude that brings you joy. And would you refocus our gaze that as we see we've been redeemed and set free from sin, that that will remind us that you're uniting all things in yourself. Jesus, you are our king. It's in your name we pray. Amen.